morning, everybody. Welcome to Sunday Morning Live, if you're watching by replay. Appreciate you watching by replay. Um, kind of picking up a theme from last week, talking about inner worlds and higher planes. I put higher in quotes. Um, I'll explain that, why I did that. Because uh, <clears throat> it's really just a metaphor. It's not meant to imply what it sounds like it implies. Anyway, let's jump right in to today's topic. So I want to talk about, um, well, I want to start out and just explain how I've arrived where I've arrived. So if you know my story, if you followed this channel anytime at all, listened to these lives or looked at anything that I've done, you know that I used to be a pastor. It's becoming (laughs) to where I can say a few years ago now, um, but I was a pastor for a long time. I was deep, I was deeply, deeply committed, um, believer. I did all kinds of different types of ministry and was completely sold out to the biblical worldview and very fundamentalist. And although I say fundamentalist, I was never, um, I wasn't one of those angry fundamentalists. <laughs> and we really did try our best to, um, present a positive message for people over the years. And then about 2016, right around my birthday, actually, um, it was in the month of August, about the middle of August in 2016, I had a visionary type experience that really was almost like a Saul on the road to Damascus type experience where I had an encounter during a time of meditation with spirit guides, I guess you could say. Now, I know people in the Christian community are going to look at that and say, well, they were demons, they were deceptive spirits and things like this. And I understand that perspective. And prior to having the experience, I would have probably embraced that perspective myself. But in this experience, I really saw the futility of what, we were trying to do and I saw how really the, the system, the doctrines, the teachings had created a mess for me in my life. So if you can imagine feeling like everything's in a good place and you just wake up one day, <clears throat> lay down and meditate have this experience that lasts for 15 or 20 minutes and you come out of this experience a completely different person. And the reason I say it was like a Saul on the road to Damascus type experience is because it was really like the scales fell from my eyes. And I realized what a mess I was in. The way I explain it to people, it's like I could see every dysfunctional pattern in my life. I could see the mess that I had made for myself that I had uh, contributed to or made for other people with, uh, the, the system and the teachings and the doctrines that I wholeheartedly believed in. And so it's like thinking everything's in order and in its place and then going to sleep for like 20 minutes and then waking up and there's a huge mess like a tornado blew through only realize that you, you know, participated in the tornado, you invited the tornado into your area, and then you've got to clean up this mess. And everybody around you doesn't even think it's messy. They don't, they don't see the mess and they don't, they didn't see the tornado and that kind of thing. And so that started me on this journey. And over the process of a few months, I decided that I was going to go ahead and explore other spiritual paths. I was going to look at what other people believed, not just other religions, but uh, things like the New Age movement, um, other types of spiritual things that were out there that we were told were taboo or off limits or had uh, no trespassing signs on them. Things like uh, tarot cards and astrology and Reiki and energy work and the possibility of re- reincarnation and past lives and um, so I just began to read. I began to meet people. I began to encounter, have encounters with people and let's see, explored shamanism, all kinds of different things. And there were a lot of similarities in terms of phenomena. And what I mean by that was I came from a 
stream of the Christian world called the charismatic stream. And we believed in visions. We believed in dreams, words of knowledge, healing, miracles, answers to prayer, synchronicities, signs and wonders, that kind of thing. And I began to encounter other people. I was fortunate because there are a lot of uh, hmm, charlatans and fakes out there that call themselves psychics, that call themselves readers or fortune tellers or whatever the case may be. But my first two or three or four encounters with people were very dynamic and very powerful for me. And those you know, three or four people that I encountered early on are still friends of mine today, and I still consider them to be authentic and genuine in their spiritual practices. And so one of the things that I realized was, you know, I thought as a Christian, we had cornered the market on certain types of phenomena. Again, dreams, visions, prophetic words, um, healing. We did our own kind of energy work. Of course, we called it the, the Holy Spirit back then. We did uh, what might be considered in the New Age world to be channeling, only we said we were speaking by the Holy Spirit, and we called it prophecy. And so there was all these similarities and all these different types of things. And so there was that aspect of what I experienced. And then the other aspect was I was really intellectually studying biblical scholarship and studying the faith and looking at things like the concept of hell within the scripture and did the scripture really teach the concept of hell and the version of hell that we believed in. In other words, did it teach that it was this place that people went to in the afterlife of eternal conscious torment? Um, was the Bible itself reliable and trustworthy? How did we get the Bible? I'd never really asked that question prior to that. How did we get the Bible? We just built on the presupposition that it was the word of God, that it was God's message uh, to get to us. And the simple answer was, you know, well, what about all the different translations? What about how it's been copied? What about errors in the copying? And what about the fact that the Bible didn't exist for the first um, 300 years of Christianity and it was put together? Uh, people think at the Council of Nicaea, but that's not correct. Um, the Nicene Creed, the doctrines of the church were hammered out. Primarily the doctrine of the Trinity was hammered out at the Nicene Council of Nicaea. And then the Bible came a few decades later when they canonized scripture. Why does the Catholic Bible have books that the Protestant Bible doesn't have? Why does the Ethiopian uh, Bible uh, from the Ethiopian church have books that the Catholic Bible doesn't have? And the simple answer was, well, the Holy Spirit was orchestrating all of that to make sure that we got the Bible in its purest form as the word of God. And we just trusted that and we just went with that. So I started to look at uh, doctrines of hell. I started looking at, um, the doctrine of original sin was a big one for me when I realized that the Bible doesn't teach original sin and that it originated with a guy named, uh, Augustine in the third or fourth century. <clears throat> I want to say the fourth century. And how that influenced the Latin church. So began to look at the history of the church, began to look at, uh, what is this thing called the Bible? Where did we get it? How did we get it? Began to listen to scholars. So on the one hand, I'm having paranormal supernatural experiences that are very positive and enriching in my life with people who don't, didn't believe like me, people who didn't profess the faith or have fidelity to the faith. And then on the other hand, there's this intellectual side where I'm applying critical thinking and I'm learning new things and I'm saying, wow, this really doesn't hold up. So it doesn't hold up intellectually and it's not holding up experientially. And those things kind of came together. And then I got disillusioned for a number of reasons with sort of the new age movement, the metaphysical holistic movement. Um, I began to see some of the same types of mistakes or errors or energies, if you will, that I was, that I had experienced previously in my Christian experience that I thought were equally unhealthy. Mm, yeah, I think I can say that. I almost want to say the, the Christian experience was more unhealthy. I remember going to a metaphysical conference, to like a New Age conference early on. So this experience for me that I'm talking about happened to me in August and we go to a conference, my wife and I, in November of that year. 
And I remember the person who was holding the conference and doing the teaching um, was such a beautiful soul, uh, such an honoring and affirming person and individual. And the group and the groups that we were around, the people that we were around early on, were extremely non-judgmental and loving and just wonderful people. And I remember watching this speaker specifically and thinking, this person models what I think Jesus would have been like if he were alive today in terms of the way he was honoring to people, the way his ego didn't seem to be super inflated. And I'd been around what I would consider the who's who. I'd been around so many different ministers in my time in the church, 30 years as an, well, 25 years at the time as an adult. And I, I just, I was astounded. I was like, this is what the church should be like, but they didn't have any of the doctrines of the church. Just imagine that. So I can almost say that I think my Christian experience was more toxic than that. So I'm having, I'm still maintaining like the supernatural side of things, the paranormal side of things in my experiences and they're very positive experiences and they're promoting growth and they're promoting healing. And then intellectually, I'm looking at the Bible and, uh, studying and everything's just kind of falling apart for me intellectually. But then later on, I had some bad experiences <laughs> with people in the metaphysical community, specifically in my hometown. And begin to see some of the same, like, like I said, some of the same errors and mistakes and almost, um, things that I thought were d- delusional or people being dogmatic about various different things and having similar, I, you know, conspiracy theory ideas that we had in the church about the end times and the rapture. And this group in camp over here has their own sort of conspiracy theory ideas. There's othering, you know, this battle between light and darkness. And all this stuff. And so I just put that stuff on the shelf and let that stuff go for a while. And then just kind of existed and just kind of did life, which is what I wanted to do for a while. I just wanted to do life for a while, have an ordinary job, be an ordinary individual and not be put on a pedestal by people because I was tired of that. It's unhealthy for them and it was unhealthy for me. And it was toxic both ways. And so... Then I felt kind of stuck <laughs> and couldn't get out of that place. And that's another story for another time how I got out of that. But it was, it took some what I would call supernatural intervention to get me moving again with anything to do with uh, other than just existing in Groundhog Day. Just put it that way. And so then, um, so then I flirted with atheism for a while, um, listened to the reasoning, the explanations, this kind of stuff. And it just never resonated with me. It might resonate on an intellectual plane to a certain degree, but the energy of it was still the same. Uh, most of the atheists that I knew were zealous for their atheism, it was almost like they wanted to convert people to atheism. They wanted to convert people to scientific materialism. And if you tried to talk about these other aspects of life that for me had been enriching, for me had been authentic, for me had been powerful, these other aspects of what I would call the supernatural, you would just get outright dismissed, almost scoffed at. Like there was never a time, uh, with the exception of conversations that I had with my friend Derek Day, who as an atheist, there was never a time that serious consideration or even conversation or dialogue could happen around those things. And so I, I didn't care for the spirit or the attitude of the atheist community. In fact, um, I really didn't like that a lot of them had come on my page or if I was doing something live or if I was posting something. Um, or at that time, I was running the Religious Trauma Recovery Group. And I would try to post something that would be, you know, speak to certain members in the group where they were at and just get lamb blasted by these atheists like you're just stupid. And I mean, it's so demeaning and dismissive. Right. And so that was a big turnoff. 
And so I'm talking about how I ended up where I'm at as an idealist, as a uh, philosophical idealist rather than a science, philosophically a scientific materialist. So I, um, I guess I'm saying all this to say that I ended up where I'm at, and I'm laying a foundation for what I'm going to talk about as far as the astral plane. I ended up where I'm at through intellectual honesty, through intellectual honesty, and discovering people that were talking about the hard problem of consciousness, and also discovering people who were fluent in the area of study called parapsychology. Parapsychology studies, again, paranormal experiences within the realm of psychology. And there have been a lot of experiments and things that have been done over the years that validate things like precognition, that validate things like um, psychic abilities. And those things got dismissed out of hand, primarily because of the prejudices of the academy. That's pretty clear. And then secondarily, because some of the experiments that were done early on that showed really great results could not be replicated. And what's funny about that is almost no scientific experiment can actually be replicated. This idea that we trust science because it's observable, measurable, and repeatable is completely false. The repeatable part of it is completely false. Uh, nature has done articles about this, and this is something that is getting quite a bit of discussion in the life sciences. Even something as simple and mechanical as biology, certain experiments are done, and then other scientists will try to replicate those experiments, and they'll get totally different results. And so there is within science a discussion of people who know, people who actually know, people who uh, do this stuff for a living, that there is a problem of repeatability. So we'll accept the uh, results of experiments that are done in the life sciences or experiments that are done in the physical sciences, and then we'll, they're not repeatable, they're not replicable, but we'll still accept their results. And then in parapsychology, if it's not perfectly replicable or perfectly repeatable, then we just throw it out completely and don't continue to explore or experiment with that. We don't do that with the life sciences. So there's definitely a prejudice within the scientific community, and there's definitely a prejudice within the academic community that goes against anything paranormal or anything supernatural. So there's that. And then I came across the work of a man named Bernardo Castro, and it's just uh, – He's, he's done phenomenal work. Bernardo has two PhDs. He has a PhD in computer science and worked at CERN on the Higgs boson and then later went back and got a PhD in philosophy as well. And he explains in his work that scientific materialism became a dominant philosophy not because the founders of scientific materialism believed that it was true or that it was the full explanation of reality. In fact, a lot of those early writers said, we know that scientific materialism, which I'll define for you in a second, is untenable. So when I'm saying scientific materialism, I'm talking about a philosophy that begins with the presupposition. It's just the same thing that we did with the Bible. We became Christians and did what we did and followed what we followed because we began with a presupposition that the Bible was the word of God, that the Holy Spirit made sure that the message got down to us. And so our presupposition is that the Bible is what is real and reality. Scientific materialism begins with this presupposition that everything that exists exists out there as matter. Now, I'm saying matter because that's where we get material, right? They they come from the same root words. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they don't believe in, you know, fields and energy and stuff like that. But regardless, it exists out there in something that is quantifiable, and that's that's the key. It's something that can be observed and measured. It can be quantified. It can be talked about in Time and space in this three-dimensional world, therefore it can be measured, uh, inches or 
ounces or weight, so weight, volume, size, everything that exists can be understood in a geometrical pattern or explanation, in a mathematical explanation. And Bernardo does a great job of showing where the people who early on were getting this going in the, towards the end of the 19th century, um, and even a little bit before that, knew that this was not a tenable presupposition, that this was not a good place to start as an explanation for reality. But they pushed it, admittedly, in their writings, for sociopolitical reasons, because prior to this time, the church, and see, this is the issue, the church and the philosophy of the church and the worldview of the church dominated Western culture for at least 15, 1600 years. And really even into the early 20th century, uh, people were still idealists. An idealist is someone who believes that consciousness is the primary component of reality and that everything can be explained out of, by beginning with consciousness rather than by beginning with geometry. So the scientific materialist begins with geometry, what's quantifiable, what's measurable, and what's out there, and that's all that exists. That's it. That's all that exists. Now, they don't know that. They can't prove that. In fact, if that is all that exists, there is no, there's not only no explanation for the paranormal, there is no explanation for some paranormal experiences. There is no explanation for it. Not only that, but if those things do happen, they fly in the face of scientific materialism, which is why people who are atheists and embrace scientific materialism tend to be so dismissive of that stuff because they can't deal with it. It's just the same thing. It's just like we did in church when people would come and say, well, how do you explain uh, if God is love? How do you explain the flood? If God is all-knowing and all-powerful, how do you explain evil? Uh, the problem of evil is really a difficult one for Christians. Uh, why do why do people suffer? Why is there evil out there in the world? And we would just be very dismissive and say, well, God's ways are higher than our ways, or there's just some things we can't understand, or God has a higher perspective. We were just very dismissive. We couldn't take that stuff seriously because we took that stuff seriously, and everybody I know without exception that has taken that stuff seriously has either come up with utter foolishness for an explanation. I mean, I've read books this thick that were just full of utter foolishness. Uh, in terms of that don't really deal with the hard questions about the problem of evil. So the scientific materialist, because paranormal experiences fly in the face, contradict the presupposition of scientific materialism. The matter and what is geometrically measurable is all that there is. Because it flies in the face of that, they also become very dismissive and don't really deal with the question. Because if they deal with the question, it's attacking what they don't even realize is their own presupposition that that's all there is. So if you do talk to them about these experiences, they say, well, eventually science will figure it out. Well, you don't know that. That's built on your presupposition. You're defending your presupposition when you say that. And so I could not, in, I can't from a place of intellectual honesty. Now, I'm not, I'm not crapping on anybody this morning. I'm just saying for myself, I cannot in any way call myself intellectually honest or honest about my own experiences but, you know, setting my experiences aside, because you guys don't know my experiences, except that if I've shared them and you don't know if they're authentic, you weren't there, you didn't have the experiences, I could be exaggerating, I could be remembering wrong, all that stuff, right? So I can't expect you to, I can't present that as evidence. So let's just stick with being intellectually honest. I can't be intellectually honest and end up in atheism. I can't be intellectually honest and end up in scientific materialism, because scientific materialism doesn't explain all it is. And I've been talking about this, but you start with the simple problem of consciousness. But um, <laughs> but l l let's explain it this way. If someone has an experience with, I'll give you a good example. L let me back up, and then I'll give you an example, a recent, a very recent example. So the materialist has to say, because of their presupposition, they have to say that what goes on in our heads, what goes on in our minds, our ability to think, our ability to reason, have reason and logic, 
our ability to talk, our ability to imagine, our ability to create, our ability to be artistic, our ability to create music and literature and uh, paintings and all of this stuff, our ability to dream is the byproduct, is a accidental byproduct of the assembling of matter, which is out there, right? And that's all it is. That's all it exists. So that somehow our biology, through a process of evolution, formed these brains that we have (laughs) that can be geometrically measured. And that then all this stuff that we experience, including the qualities of our experience, are the byproduct of this stuff that's in our skull. So the barrier, the boundary between my thoughts and your thoughts is skin and bone, right? There's no way that I would be able to get information that is not coming to me from the geometrical material world into my skull through my five senses. That's the only way it can enter in, right? It's through what I see, what I hear, what I uh, feel, what I taste, what I smell. That's the only way that information can come in and be processed if scientific materialism is true. That's the only way that that can happen. So I have a friend who is very psychic. I won't say who it is, but someone I've known for, gosh, I would say probably 15 years. And I've watched this person's life and I've watched them operate in their giftings over and over and over and over again with impeccable results. I can't really think of a time that she's missed it. I'm sure there has been because nobody's perfect. We don't have to be perfect in these things. But I can't think of a time that she's missed it. And I know of two situations specifically, and one was recent, where without even being solicited, she was involved. Uh, she's a visionary. She's a seer. And I know of one instance in particular where there was a public case. I don't want to say too much, but the person had been murdered, and they couldn't find the body, and the person visited her and gave her information that she was able to share to know where uh, this person was, uh, where their body was. And then recently, she was involved, if I understand correctly, and I'm sure I do, um, but it's, you know, it's her story to tell, which is why I'm not saying her name, but was recently involved in finding a, um, uh, a child, a missing child through knowledge that had come to her. Now, you don't have to believe that, but I believe that. And this stuff, if you're honest, it happens pretty frequently, this kind of stuff. I knew of a situation years ago in another state where they were looking for uh, people who had had gotten lost in uh, the, the wilderness parts of their state where they lived, and someone was given information and was able to give it to the authorities, and the authorities were able to find that person based on the information that was given to them. So there's no way that information came in through the five physical senses, right? There's no way. So therefore, scientific materialism, the idea that our consciousness is just the byproduct of this goo in our heads, there's no way, absolutely no way, that that can be correct. There were times in my own life that I was able to anticipate uh, through precognition and through visions, and I'm on record as having visions that were very specific down to the month and the event that affected things on national and world scales that nobody saw coming. Uh, and I don't want to talk about that too much because I don't want to brag or, <laughs> or come across like I'm bragging. I'm just saying there's no way if scientific materialism is true, not only is there not a, not any kind of an explanation for that, there's no way that it, it, it completely contradicts this idea that my consciousness is just what's behind my skull. So for me, I can't be atheist. I can't be 
a scientific materialist and be intellectually honest. I'd be being intellectually dishonest and I'd be closing the door on the mysteries of life and human experiences that were honored pretty much until uh, we're honored in a ubiquitous fashion uh, pretty much throughout all of human history until about the last 150 years. And now all that stuff is just thrown out. The baby's sort of thrown out with the bathwater. So why am I belaboring all this? Because I want to talk about the astral plane. And so I said this last week from an occult perspective, and again, I'm going to keep saying this. The word occult just means the study of that which is not seen, the study of that which is hidden. So from an occult perspective, this material plane is just one level or one plane of reality, one plane of experience. And if we take it as being a aspect of experience, um, a very important aspect of experience, a very, very important aspect of experience, a very large part of our lives, and if we say, okay, we acknowledge this, we acknowledge the material world, we acknowledge the world out there, we acknowledge the value of observable measurable and repeatable. We acknowledge the the science and math and physics has done an excellent job in the last um, century or more of explaining this part of our experience to us. The problem with scientific materialism is they say this is all there is. This is the only aspect of reality. So what we're saying is, yes, thank God for scientific progress. Thank God for uh, physics, thank God for the life sciences, thank God for math and geometry as a way of explaining and understanding our world, but it's not the only level or layer of reality. And so philosophies for centuries and generations have acknowledged that there are various planes or levels to reality, and it begins with consciousness. It begins with consciousness. So in other words, uh, what I'm saying by that is that we can experience, we can have experiences in consciousness, in realms of consciousness that are just as vivid and just as powerful without it having to come to us, these experiences, these ideas, this information, without it having to come to us from the material world from the geometric world, from the measurable world, but that these experiences can come to us from within. And we can experience these other planes or levels of reality from within our consciousness. So from this perspective, then, our brains facilitate consciousness. Consciousness comes first, and then consciousness enters into a body, and our brains facilitate our connection with the material plane, which is why when the material plane is severed, there's no more consciousness inside the body. Consciousness leaves the body. So it really depends on where you begin, and it's it really is a philosophical argument because nobody can say for sure. Does the biology come first and the brain come first, and then consciousness is a byproduct of electrical firing and the goo inside our heads and trapped there and therefore limited to anything coming into it, coming from without, or does consciousness come first? Were we conscious entities before we took on these bodies? And if consciousness comes first, then the brain becomes a facilitator, becomes a way that we facilitate experiences that can come to us from without. Because without this body existing in this three-dimensional space in which we live, we can have no experience of this three-dimensional space. So is the body a vehicle that gives expression to consciousness which came first, or does the body come first and consciousness is just a byproduct of that? Now, if we begin with the presupposition, and again, I'm acknowledging it's a presupposition, but I think it's a more intellectually honest presupposition. If we begin with the, pre- <coughs> with the presupposition that consciousness comes first, now we at least have theories that can explain near-death experiences, 
when they happen. We have theories that can explain some of these people who, uh, you know, claim to have been reincarnated and can talk about their past lives in detail. And then their past lives were recent enough that these places could be visited and the facts that they're sharing can be verified and validated. There's real experiments out there like that. That's if consciousness comes first. Now we can explain people who can remember their past lives. If consciousness comes first, now we can explain um, near-death experiences that happen. If consciousness comes first, if consciousness is primary, now we can explain how someone can have information that comes to them from within about situations that no one can figure out in time and space and information that did not come to them in any way, shape, or form from the geometrical world out there, from the three-dimensional world out there. Now we can explain precognition. Now we can explain ESP. Now we can explain psychic phenomena. For all the, the baloney and garbage I know that's out there with psychic with psychics and psychic phenomena, there I, I know of specific and I've had specific experiences myself where uh, the departed manifested in some way in consciousness, not in the physical realm, in consciousness, and communicated information that was so specific and so detailed to the other person that it you'd have a better chance of winning the Powerball than just guessing and getting it right, right? I've, I've experienced that on both ends, being a, a, a transmitter of that kind of information to others and being a receiver of that kind of information for others. We have an explanation for um, one of the things that got me unstuck was I went and worked with an energy healer, and she absolutely, without me giving her anything ahead of time, uh read my mail. I had an astrology chart done a few years ago, uh, a natal chart, a birth chart done with astrology. And people say, well, astrology is baloney. Well, of course you think it's baloney if you're a scientific materialist because there's no explanation for it (laughs) that science can come up with. So, of course, you're going to dismiss it outright. But I, I can just tell you that I went and had a natal chart done, and this person knew nothing about me ahead of time at all, didn't even have time to Google me if people think that's the thing. Uh, and when my chart was read, it was astounding how accurate it was in terms of what I was choosing for a career, what I was experiencing in my relationships, what I was experiencing socially, what I was experiencing uh, in terms of uh, career successes or failures. All of that was revealed in my astrology chart, and all of it was accurate. So what do you do with that? You just throw it out because, oh, that's got to be baloney because of scientific materialism? Or do you explore that and say, what is that? So if consciousness comes first, then, and if hermetic teaching is true, as above, so below, as within, so without, we can begin from that perspective then to start to make sense out of astrology. We can make sense out of uh, tarot cards and card readings that are, uh, that, that speak to us and impact us. And so it opens up this whole new world. So why would anybody want to go from closed-minded, closed-world Christianity, Jesus is the only way, this is all there is, and you don't have to fear death because uh, Jesus died for your sins and you accepted him as your Savior, and then shift to a very limited, narrow, scientific materialist worldview and say, this is all there is, materialism is all there is, science is the new religion, science is the new answers, science is what's going to give us the answers to reality and cut yourself off from all this other stuff and all this other experience that can be enriching. It's just as narrow. It's just as dogmatic and it's just as much built on a presupposition. And I would argue it's just as intellectually dishonest because they don't deal with these other aspects of reality. And if you believe that that's all there is and you're, that's all you're going to work with and that's all you're going to experience and all you're going to rely upon, I did a whole video on this, all you're going to rely upon is logic and reason, you're relying on a very small part. If you, if you believe that your consciousness is the byproduct of your brain, I just want you to know that the logic reason uh, faculties 
of the brain are a very small percentage of the brain. So you're relying on it. So you see what I'm saying? It's just like, okay, I'm going to take the straight and narrow way of scientific materialism. And, you know, I'm going to forsake the straight and narrow way of Christianity for the straight and narrow way of scientific materialism. And again, I'm not trying to come at anybody in this. I'm just explaining why I am where I am. And I'm laying a foundation intellectually to talk about the astral plane. So let's get into it. So what is the astral plane? What is the astral plane? The astral plane, according to uh, uh, occult teachings, i just say it that way, is the level of reality that exists that is made up entirely of something immaterial. In other words, it's not a plane that can be measured and observed or quantified in pounds, ounces, inches, etc. But it is a, it's a plane in the level. So it's a plane in the level of mind, really, or a plane in the level of consciousness that pervades the material world. So you could think about it as a step above, which is why I said the higher worlds. Not higher in the sense of it's superior to that this plane and level of reality as being human and matter should be rejected for that. But it's a realm that encompasses or surrounds or exists that is a level of mind that exists for the sake, for lack of a better metaphor, above the natural plane and the natural world. And so everything that you see in the material world has a corresponding image or reality in the world of ideas or in the world of consciousness. So it's this pervasive uh, Eliphas Levy, who was a occultist in the uh, Middle Ages, I can't remember which century, but Eliphas Levy called it the astral light. But again, it's a realm of consciousness. It's something, so it's something that we're connected to. It's interpenetrating, if I could say it that way. We're surrounded by the astral light or we're surrounded by the astral plane and it interpenetrates us because our consciousness is also part of the astral plane. That's a level of our consciousness. So when we talk about things like astral projection or we talk about uh, yeah, let's just stick with astral projection. We're talking about a realm that's within us, but also around us that we participate in that goes past our dissociative boundary of our own locked in material existence. Now, when you talk about the astral plane, most people think strictly about astral projection if they know what that is or if they've heard about that or thought about that at all. But again, I want you to think about it, that this is a level of mind, a level of consciousness that is interwoven into everything in the three-dimensional world. Everything that you can see, feel, uh, everything out there has a corresponding image and existence in the astral plane, including you, including me. So we have what they might call an astral body, right? So you can think about this like a giant um, network, almost like almost like the Internet, right? So I'm able to sit in my space and not be in your presence. This, w- this wasn't possible uh, decades ago, right, to be able to do something like this. If I was going to share ideas with you, if I was going to talk with you, I would have to be in your physical presence or at least be talking on the phone, right? But because of this massive thing called the Internet, I'm able to go transpersonal to my space and communicate ideas to you (laughs) over this platform, right? And you can put things in the chat to communicate back. We can do Zoom calls together where we're participating. So if you can think about the astral plane like this, it's it's a place, it's a – It's a place where everything is connected in consciousness, and it's the realm of consciousness that's just above, uh, and again, above is sort of a metaphor, but the best way I know how to say it, above the material 
plane in the material world. So the belief uh, was that we have what you call occult powers. Now, remember, occult just simply means hidden, that within us, within our consciousness, within our souls, the great uh, Christian writer from China, Watchman Nee, called this the, the latent power of the soul, that there are latent powers inside of you. And a lot of occult study and a lot of occult philosophy is about awakening these latent powers so that you can have psychic abilities, so that you can have precognitions, and so that you can work with the astral field Maybe that's a better way to describe it. Maybe it's the quantum field. Maybe science is getting uh, to where they're observing and mathematically explaining this. Maybe it's just the quantum realm. But whatever it is, it doesn't matter what we call it. I don't have to know how my car works. And believe me, I do not. I do not have to know how my car works. I don't have to know how to fix my car. I don't have to understand anything about the engineering and propulsion of my car. I don't have to understand how my brakes work. I don't have to understand any of that stuff. I can still get in and I can learn to drive my car and I can be effective of getting from one place to another and taking full advantage of it. The person who fully understands it and can explain it has, I have no more limitations than they do. So who cares about the explanation, right? Whether we believe it's astral fluid or whether we believe it's animal magnetism, whether we believe these are some of the names that have been given to it, whether we believe it's astral light, whether we believe it's an astral plane or whether it's a quantum field, who cares? Like you don't have to understand it in order to effectively use it. But because it's the plane that exists just above this material reality that we see, it's, it, it affects it. The two affect each other, but you're able to create change in the physical realm if you put enough out there into the quantum field, if you put enough out there into the astral plane. And the astral plane, the substance of the astral plane, is the substance of mind. So what I mean is it's it's imaginal. It's uh, if, if I have a dream, if you have a dream, you have sensory experience, but that sensory experience has nothing to do with, what's happening in your physical environment. That sensory experience is totally being produced independently of information coming to you from without because you are asleep. So dreams are participation in the astral plane. Daydreaming is participation in the astral plane. If someone, uh, if you study shamanism, shamanic journeying is a journey on the astral plane. Astral projection, where a person says they leave their bodies and go somewhere else and experience it as though they're completely independent of this physical world and they're experiencing a different plane, it's made of the stuff of mind. They're seeing trees and forests or buildings or rocks. They're encountering animals. They may be encountering mythical creatures. They may be encountering animal spirits in the case of shamanic journeying. They may be encountering other human beings uh, who are also on existing not existing, but they're, you know, uh, astral projecting. The, this, this will be the space that is the place of connection between you and departed loved ones or departed people. It would be the space between you and, um, if there are such things, and I do believe, although not in a religious sense, if there are such things as angels or archangels, that would be the place of, uh, communication that would be how those things would would come to you but also as you're dreaming about your future and thinking about your future you can make such a powerful impression on the astral plane with your own mind with your own thinking with your own feeling with your own imagination and if you make that impression over and over and over and over again you make it with enough intensity and and enough you form it and make it real in the imaginal realm, in the astral plane, then the physical plane will begin to correspond with that because the two are like gears working together, right? Or like a mobile. If you think about those baby mobiles that are over baby's beds, right? (laughs) They spin one way, but you hit one part of it, and it begins to cause a chain reaction of change within the entire mobile. This is the idea, uh, and this is why, Oftentimes, or sometimes at least, what people call the law of attraction works. It's not really that you're attracting something to you. It's that you're making such a powerful impact 
on the astral plane with your consciousness that you're hitting something in that mobile of your life, if you will, using the metaphor, and it's creating a chain reaction, which oftentimes becomes disruptive to our physical lives. <laughs> because if you want something new, let's be honest, the old has to go uh, before, in order for the new to come. It's going to create a lot of chain reactions that are happening in there. And so while we may think about things like astral projection, uh, astral travel or communications from beyond as getting in a, and we may think about it in a three dimensional space. We may think about it really coming from the level of presuppositions of scientific materialism. You can see why I spent so much time going into that. Then we think about it in these dimensional ways. I'm going into a higher realm. I'm going into a other dimension. Um, I'm trying to get out of my body to participate in the astral plane. When in reality, it's just, it's, it's consciousness. It's consciousness. And so from that standpoint, then I'm going within to go without, if that makes sense, or I'm going within to go transpersonal. I'm going beyond the dissociative boundary set up in my mind based on my experience in the material and physical world to experience things that are beyond or other than that exist out there that are beyond and other than what can be explained in three-dimensional space but can only be explained in consciousness, right? And so one of the reasons that they couldn't replicate some of the psychic experiments that they did early on that had great results is because they just picked a person off the street. And... Again, these are latent powers of the soul. This is also why you have charlatans. People think that they can just take one class on reading tarot cards and they can become an effective tarot reader. They think they can attend a shamanic courses online and then they call themselves shamans. People who were genuine shamans who could really deliver the goods were trained in these things for years. They were initiated in these things for years because there's an awakening of these latent powers of the soul. There's an awakening of these occult powers that makes them effective and that makes them powerful. So if you were to test someone who has trained and prepared and been initiated in altered states of consciousness and has practice going into the astral plane, getting information from the astral plane, and has done it for years and has done it, again, under guidance and initiation, you're going to get a totally different set of results than somebody who got a certificate off the Internet or who went to a workshop, a weekend workshop, to learn how to activate their intuition and their psychic abilities. And that's why, you know, so many people can be exposed as frauds. That's why so many people can be exposed to charlatans, because it's easy to... Go into that and people will pay you for it, right? And so people do that as a career choice and they don't even go to college for four years or, uh, seven years or eight or ten years like it would to become a doctor or a specialist of training and discipline in an area of study in order to be able to deliver the goods and produce the results, right? But that doesn't mean that someone who went to through initiations and is very uh, experienced in the astral planes, very experienced in the paranormal, um, they're going to deliver a totally different set of results. And that's why I said I was very fortunate early on that the people that I met had been initiated. They had been trained. They had many years of proven practice in the areas of things like past life regression therapy or psychic ability or energy work or, um, those types of things, right? You see what I'm saying? So we, a lot of those experiments that say, oh, no, you know, precognition, intuition, and psychic ability is bogus is because they either took men on the street and tried to get them to guess the color of the card that they were looking at, or they took people who had had types of psychic experiences, paranormal experiences, maybe someone like myself who's had them off and on, uh, relatively frequently over the years, but I've never been initiated into a path into a other than Christianity, other than charismatic Christianity. So you see what I'm saying? You, you get the difference. I'm not an initiated shaman, you know. Um, <laughs> so I can't expect to say, produce the same results as someone who studied 
been initiated by an indigenous people who whose traditions have been passed down for centuries. So these are so those are aspects of the astral plane. But again, I want you to just begin to understand that you're connected to this, you're involved in this, you participate in this, and you're part of this other level and plane of reality. And it's it's exciting to think about exploring the mysteries that are there to me. Now, one other thing about the astral plane that I want to talk about, and then I'll finish, is that we are constantly sending things into the astral realm now, what makes the biggest imprint based on uh, teaching, based on uh, reliable teaching in almost every magical system, and based on my own personal experience with this, <clears throat> what makes the biggest impact on the astral plane <clears throat> is intense emotion. So a lot of magical systems, the rituals that are in magical systems, there's nothing magic about the ritual itself so people can look at you know different types of folk magic different types of ritual magic and say this is ridiculous what are they doing the whole point of the ritual is to so impact the person's psyche so impact your psyche that you're able to produce a powerful uh response a powerful emotional or neurophysiological, it's not just in your head as thoughts, but you're feeling it and acting it out in your body as well. <laughs> and that combined energy, because the energy from the body, the energy from the heart is something like 50 times more powerful than just thought alone. So the ritual is designed to align thought and feeling and emotion, and then with powerful emotion to project out and imprint and really punch something, if you will, into the astral plane. In order to effect change. And that's why, uh, you can get results sometimes using rituals. Because again, there's nothing in the ritual. It's the impact that it has on the psyche that produces the result. If you can have that kind of impact on the psyche without the ritual, you'll get the same results. <laughs> but I want to talk about this because this is something else that I, I've dealt with. But w- what happens when someone falls in hate with you? <laughs> What happens when someone falls in hate with you? What happens when you become someone's obsession? You become the object of their emotional and psychological projections. In other words, you become a symbol. You become sort of a Jungian archetype. You become the representative of a Jungian archetype in someone's life of a type of individual that they hate or that they don't like. And for whatever reason, because of your interaction with them, you become the object of their projection. And so they have very powerful negative emotions that they are directing and sending you, not magically, not putting curses on you, but just sending very, very hateful energy your way because, again, for whatever reason, you're the object of their obsession. Now, I hope you never have to deal with something like that, but let me tell you, that has very real, in my opinion, very real psychological and emotional effects and impact on the person who is the object of that. That is harmful and detrimental. So people can become depressed, they can become anxious, they can become paranoid, they can become just feeling like they have the blahs, they can lose inspiration or motivation, simply because people are sending out into the astral realm and you're connected to this realm. So it's a form of a psychic attack. It's an unconscious psychic attack. It's a subconscious psychic attack. They don't realize that they're doing it to you. When they're doing it, if they hate you that bad, they probably would ramp it up if they knew that they had that kind of effect or power. Um, so just understand, not everything that you feel or experience is you or coming from you. Uh, my son is very sensitive to the astral plane. And we were at uh, in a large crowd of people recently, walking through a large crowd of people, and um, he just looks at me and says, Dad, I, suddenly I feel 
sick. I'm feeling sick to my stomach. I feel like I need to throw up and it hurts so bad I want to start crying. And I knew immediately that he had just picked up all the energy that was floating around, around him from other people. So I said, I'll tell you what, let's just get away from the crowd. Let's walk up and, and let's see if as you get more distance from the crowd, <coughs> if you don't feel better. And sure enough, once we got back in our vehicle and we got about a mile away from where we were, he said, I think you're right, Dad. He said, I feel back to myself. I think I was just picking up that stuff from the crowd. So when we're talking about the astral plane, we're talking about something that is we're both receptive to, but also something that we can work with to implement change. So if you find yourself that you're what is typically called an empath today, where you don't like being in crowds or you pick up energies from other people, um, or you just get depressed or anxious or angry out of nowhere and you don't know why, chances are pretty good that maybe that's not your energy. Maybe that's not even your thoughts or your feelings, but you're owning them because, again, we think everything's encased inside this body, right? But when you understand that you're participating in this whole other world, this whole other realm, then you can do things. Now, again, remember, the astral plane is made up of the substance of mind, the substance of images, sight, sounds, the substances of your dreams, right? But you don't have to be a victim to that. So you can. So when you, in your imagination, put a protective shield around you, when in your imagination you can imagine these thoughts and feelings, it doesn't matter if you imagine them as people. It doesn't matter if you imagine them as colors. It doesn't imagine, it doesn't matter if you imagine them as anything you want. That's not the point. The point is that you're connecting it to an image and then you're moving that out of your body. So one of the things that I teach my kids and that I teach people and I've done myself is when I'm feeling that yuck to assign a color to it, to assign a space and a shape to it. And then with my mind, see it leaving and purging out of my body and going into the ground putting a shield of light or an egg of light. This is one of the things they teach you in psychic self-defense. What are you doing? You're creating, literally creating, an astral, a shield in the astral realm that's specifically there to protect you from things that might be coming at you from people who have fallen in hate with you. <laughs> And so I hope, I hope I've explained this well enough for you. I hope I've given you some things to think about. Um, I'm going to go ahead and look at some of the comments here. Uh, let's see. Joe Machuda says, eternal divinity is amoral. Ethics, morality are products of finite dimensions of some sort of material Reality. If we are an eternal aspect of the divine, then good and evil is only found in the material reality, which is finite. Yet, this is an important dimension to experience. Love that comment. <laughs> Dave Volker, hope I'm saying your last name right, Dave, uh, replying to Joe says, uh, with my evolving spiritual experience, I have moved from good slash evil to helpful slash unhelpful. I like that frame in relationship to what I see in my life. <laughs> I like that frame was my comment. Uh, so he says, I've moved from good and evil to helpful and unhelpful in relationship to what I see in my life and in turn have more compassion to my experience and that of others. Uh, Victor says, I believe consciousness comes first and then the body. I do too. Jeremy says, good and evil are emotional concepts. Think of the ultra-logical, i.e. Vulcans. <laughs> and he does the <laughs> hand emoji. If you have an emotion, then you have no concept of good or evil except in the hands of the illogical. A Vulcan cannot perform an evil act, but also cannot be held to a good standard. A serial killer can be evil because they are illogical. Victor Reynolds says, I've heard that those who send negative energy to others actually send it only to themselves since their body doesn't recognize other people. Never heard that. Thanks for sharing that. Uh, Marietta Hughes says, awesome message. You're so worth the weekly wait. And then some. So thanks everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, thanks if you're watching by replay. I really appreciate it. This is going to be, I'm going to do one more Facebook live.
on my personal Facebook page. Uh, and that will be September 17th. Next week, I will be out of town. I'm, yes, I'm going to opening day at Broncos Stadium, uh, to watch the Broncos and the Raiders play. Uh, so y'all pray for me that it's, it's <laughs> so I won't be on next week, uh, the 10th. I will be on the following week on the 17th. That will be the last time I'll be uh, doing a Facebook Live from my personal Facebook page. Now, I'll still be doing it um, on Facebook, but I'll be doing it in the New Day Global private Facebook group. So if you want to be able to get these, you need to join the uh, face, uh, New Day Global Facebook group. You can find that link by going to my Facebook page and looking at the very top of the page. So again, uh, also on the 11th, I will be starting to do um, weekly, maybe bi-weekly. We'll see how uh, faithful I can be to it. It depends on how well I'm able to manage my time and resources. <clears throat> but I will be doing uh, a Facebook Live to the New Day Global group that will be exclusively for members of the New Day Global group. So, um, And then YouTube viewers won't be affected at all, except that I won't be here next week. So if you got to the end of this video, just meant to mention that at the beginning. Um, so anyway, hope everybody's doing well. I hope this was a blessing for you. Thanks for watching. If you watched all the way to the end and thanks for spending this time with me. I really appreciate it. I don't take it for granted at all. And I will see you on here Sunday morning live in two weeks.